are things that I call discipleship. And it's looking at the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. And their personality and yet the provision of the Lord utilizing these normal human beings. There are times in my life that I have watched uh, Christians struggle with how could He use me? And I can gently smile back and say, why would He save you? And that's a perplexing. And yet, He says that He will take the weak to overthrow the strong. He will take the foolish to confound the wise. So, that's what we're looking at. The last few weeks we've been looking at two brothers, Peter's and Andrew. Uh, let us read the Word and we'll look at two more brothers. Jesus summoned His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles, note the difference. He summoned His twelve disciples and the name of the apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Father, help us to hear. Father, help us to see the hands of an awesome God doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what any human being could believe. Father, may we understand this. May we bear witness to this. And Father, may we be overwhelmed that we would be these tools in the hands of an awesome God. Help us, Lord. Help us to hunger and thirst for Your Word that we may be utilized for the furtherance of the eternal kingdom to Your glory and praise. Amen. When I read through this text, I find it fascinating for numerous reasons because some of these men we know very little about. Some of these men we know a little more about. And it seems like that in the relationship to their closeness to Jesus Christ is the ones that we know more and more about. And yet you have Matthew, who was a tax collector, and he wrote a gospel. But there was another guy, Simon the Zealot. We know very little about Simon. But when you see the word zealot, you know what that means? He was political. He was political. So it's a, I, I mean, and then you got two sets of brothers. And you're sitting there going, well, this is a, this is a mess. And yet, if you look, if you're true to what you see, 11 half-hearted men turn the world upside down. There has never such an impact globally than these 11, if you want to count Matthias, you can. 
or Paul, which was not one. You noted there, he called them disciples first. Okay, disciple means learner. These were learners. Okay, but then he calls them apostles. Now, apostle is sent out one. But you better be a learner before you get sent out. Because I see a lot of people today who believe that they are, we use the term called, and they don't know what they're talking about. And it's it's a little bit of annoying because you end up cleaning up their mess. We looked at Peter and his brother Andrew. Andrew was actually the first one called. And the first thing Andrew did was what? Went and told his brother, Peter. Andrew was the quiet of the two. Kind of the behind the scenes guy. But we looked at this last week and and we saw the benefit that he was. But now I want to look at the sons of Zebedee. James and John. Something noticeable about New Testament writing. If they list brothers, the first name is the oldest. Peter was older than Andrew. James was older than John. Okay? Like Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. And, and, and it's, you know, I, I like to fish. I am not a fisherman. They made their living at catching fish. If you move over to Mark chapter 1, we get a little detail on this because this is really fascinating about all of them, but chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Actually, 16 shows the action at the Sea of Galilee. He was going along, Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Andrew is always referred to as that, the brother of Simon. Casting a net at the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Note verse 18. Immediately. Immediately. They left their nets and they followed him. They didn't think about it. They didn't look back. They didn't look around. They immediately followed Then verse 19, going on a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a boat, mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow them. That's always fascinated me. It's always fascinated me. I'm going to leave everything that I'm comfortable with. Everything that I've been trained with. Everything that I take my comfort, my counsel with. Everything that is my stability in my life. He did the same thing with Matthew, the tax collector. He had his tax booth, made a good living. Didn't have a lot of friends, but made a good living. And when Jesus called him, what happened? He left. When I look at these two brothers... To think that they were leaving their father, who was probably his business. I know emphatically that they had zeal to follow Jesus. To just drop everything 
and go. That's zeal. But I also know that when you have a person with zeal, they tend to be ambitious. They tend to be ambitious. A little later on, Jesus gives these two brothers a name in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the names Boingers. Boingers. Which means sons of thunder. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that there might be something there that is not really that uh, admirable, shall we say. Sons of thunder. And as a lot of people that you will deal with who have zeal for God you will find that there are times that that zeal gets the best of them. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Okay, now that says two things to me. One, it was Samaritans had rejected the disciples. But there was something about James and John and their intense zealousness. They believed that God, that Jesus could bring fire out of heaven. And asked if they wanted, if he wanted them to do it. Now, for one thing, that takes an awful lot of faith. For another thing, that takes an awful lot of zeal. But there are times when zeal gets to hit. I remember dealing with a young man years ago in my ministry. And he just had a um, a knack of making people mad and offending people. And he did it based on his zeal. And I remember having to set him down in my office one day and I said, now, we need to get this worked out. And I explained to him some things that he was doing. He says, well, I feel like I'm God's hammer on his anvil. And I was like, well, you know, I appreciate that description. But I think you're God's donkey. Okay. And we worked it through, and uh, and he grew from it. But he believed he, he believed just what he said. I'm God's hammer. Well, you know what? The convicting work is done by the Holy Spirit, and you ain't him. Okay? But you can have zeal. I like zeal. I don't like zeal when it gets out in front of the Holy Spirit, though. All right? Because I watch people who are very versed in Scripture, and all they're doing is bashing people with the binding of their Bible. It doesn't work. If you'd have listened to the messages that I taught out uh, at Cowboy Camp, they were some of the most convicting messages that I've ever preached. And some of you have been with me for a while are going, Oh my God, 
But the difference is, I was showing them this is what the Word of God says. All right? So if you were under conviction, they knew, the hearers knew that it was the Word of God doing the convicting. I had multiple different people come up to me saying, that message was strictly for me. And it broke my heart. And they'd explain some things that they were dealing with. And it said, it broke my heart. And God used those words to open my eyes. Now, I wouldn't call myself God's hammer. Truth of the matter is, I believe in my character. I'm more like Andrew. You know, I'm just going to point everybody to Jesus and try to get out of the way. But God has put me in a different position where I'm not allowed to get out of the way. And sometimes I may not be the hammer, but I do know the feeling of being the target. It's just bizarre at times when you preach a message, it's very straightforward, and then people will come up to you and say, well, I got this out of it. And you're like, how in the world did you get that out of what I said? So when I look at this, these fishermen had zeal. Amazing zeal. This Samaritan village had rejected some of the disciples and they literally asked Jesus permission to call down fire from heaven. Let me have this privilege of burning up this village for you. Okay, now I know some of you guys, I I remember studying 1 Timothy and it says that I am to pray for those who are in leadership over me so I may live at peace. And I was convicted. It's easy to bellyache about our politicians. It's a very difficult thing to pray for them. And so I repented. I said, Father, I have neglected this and I can't believe it. I'm sorry. There, and there, I had a handful that just for decades have been burrs under my saddle. And uh, I began praying for the first one. And in a very short time, he died. And I was like, wow. And then there was this other one who I hadn't been that bitter with that long. But I didn't appreciate what he was doing with our military. And daggone if he didn't die. So I backed off of that. Because <laughs> I had a, our pastor friend in uh, Punjab, Indian, who was reaching to the Taliban and he we he called me one day out of the clear brew when your phone gets this weird about 22 digit phone number you're like oh man <laughs> that's like long distance and uh, so anyway I answered his pastor Philip and he says God's laid on a heart that we should pray for salvation of Osama bin Laden what would it do to the nation of Islam if he got saved and I said you're right Philip so I began praying and they shot him <laughs> so you're like so I backed away from it again I'm like man it's got to be everybody comes up and say I got one I need to pray for her <laughs> so don't do that but I, I want you to be aware of this because it is easy to get wrapped up in who how many times have you seen somebody just walk away from Christ for whatever reason or do something a knucklehead thing And immediately, what's your first response? They're not saved. Oh, you who is out sin, cast the first stone. But we do that. And it's no different. Listen, say somebody's not saved, that's condemning them. 
You can't do that. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. I'll show you these two brothers again. Beginning in verse 20. Now remember, James and John's father was a fisherman. Okay? Here we meet mom. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, the two boys said what? We are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten <laughs> became indignant duh, with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to become first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right. I got news for you. James learned this quickly. Because he made the comment here. Yes, you are going to take my cup. They didn't realize what that cup was, but he said, yeah, you're going to take it. You know what that cup was? Suffering, grief, indignation, death. They sent their mother to ask the question, but they were with her. And when asked, can you drink this cup? Their response was. Remember, Peter, if all would forsake me. I shall never forsake you. And I tell you the truth, Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. They wanted honor. People with zeal are ambitious. They want honor. They want power. They want prestige. Jesus promised them suffering. And in James' case, martyrdom. Like I said, James is probably the oldest because his name is always listed first throughout scriptures. Perhaps, perhaps, he was the most zealous of the two. Perhaps he was the most passionate of the two. You know why I say that? Who was the first disciple martyred? 
James. James. Stephen wasn't a disciple, he was, or he wasn't an apostle. I'll show it to you. Acts chapter 12. Because there's something else that's kind of interesting about this. Acts chapter 12, verse 2. It, let's read the whole context. Beginning of verse 1. Now, at that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Okay? And he had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. Okay, so he was antagonizing the believers. Now, look what happened in verse 3. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to what? Arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was made fervently in the church of God. Now, you know what you find out? He didn't have him killed. Now, wait a minute. Why would he kill James and not kill Peter? And it was already evident that they were harassing the saints to mistreat them. He saw how it pleased the Jewish people, Herod did, when he did what? Killed James. And he had Peter arrested, but he didn't kill him. Is it possible? Is it possible that King Herod saw James was a greater threat than Peter? Just food for thought. Just food for thought. Do you see how powerful his ministry was? I mean, we hear about Peter going down to the Sanhedrin and calling them murderers. And we hear about that. But we know that James was in people's faces. When you're willing to say, I can take your cup to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can take that. That's a man that's got ambition and zeal. When you see a man who can leave his father's fishing company right there, drop the mending of nets and walk away. That's a man that has zeal for who he's following. And then when you see, when it comes to the apostles, James is the first one killed. And that they'll, you, everybody says that Peter was the talker. You know, he was, in the fact, his life lasted a little longer. James's life didn't. I think that's somehow we can look at that on how powerful his ministry was. Even though his ministry was short, it was still powerful. People who have that zeal when they are in line with the Holy Spirit are powerful beyond comprehension. 
they get into trouble when they get out in front of the Holy Spirit. And then they usually make a mess of everything. See, some Christians have a great zeal. There's some in this room that have a great zeal for the things of God. But there are times that we will get in trouble. Because the zeal is leading, not the spirit of the living God. Because I've seen people write about James and said, well, he died quickly because he was rebellious to the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you know how stupid that sounds? No. Jesus told James, guess what? You're going to drink this cup. You're going to drink it. You're not going to like it, but you're going to drink it. Tradition tells us that John lived into his 90s. And there are all kinds of things that they, that I cannot prove to you. Uh, some people said he was thrown into boiling oil and nothing happened. And, and there's just weird stuff like that. I know he got exiled to the island of Patmos. Okay. I know that he trained the leadership of the church in Ephesus. Okay. And I know he died an old man and we have no record that he died as a martyr. But his little brother or his older brother died as a martyr. And it's fascinating to me that he would have James killed and the people were excited about it and he arrests Peter and doesn't have him killed. Because King Herod was in preserving his own proverbial skin. And anyone that could cost him that, he would go after. Listen, each of us need to be a very grateful, very thankful for those who have zeal. And then we got to be doubly thankful for those who have zeal that are governed by the Spirit of the living God. I know in my ministry I've had to clean up many messes from zealous people. And I remember at one time I felt like I was just a fireman. I was just running around putting out fires. One last thing. Zeal tends to be insensitive. Zeal is looking what it would say for the greater good. And I don't really care who gets hurt along the way. Um, that does not bring glory to the king. Okay? Again, the convicting of the lost happens by who? The Holy Spirit. And it's done under the authority of Scripture. Okay? I know a lot of people who want to condemn people and they never use Scripture to verify. And then you hear, well, see, they're just judgmental. And, and you hear it all the time. You can't know the heart. Well, you know what? I can know the actions of the heart. 
But see, that's someone who's kind of spent a little more time in the Bible than just saying, you know what, you're going to hell for that. Why do you say they're going to hell for that? Because I, it, do you understand that condemnation is not the action of the sin? It is the sin. Okay? The reason they sin is what do they put their faith in? People go to hell because they do not trust God. It ain't got nothing to do with their sin. Sin is their nature. That's what they put their trust in. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. But see, it's easy for you and I to run around and say, well, that person there is sinning or that person there is sinning. Don't they understand what they're doing there is sinning? Listen, sin is not what condemns us. Faithlessness condemns us. Sin is the product of what it is we believe we trust in. I trust in my flesh. You know, it's like uh, I had a discussion out there this week and they were talking about Satanism. And I was just listening. I'd just gotten done and I didn't really want to say nothing and all the rest of it. And finally they dug deep enough hole that I thought I'd kick some dirt in on top. And, and I said, uh, Satanism is not his religion. And they said, what? They said, it's humanism. Go read what he says. I'm as great as God. I don't care what the problem is. I'll get the solution. That's humanism. But see... We've created this Satanism, goat's head and pentagrams and all this other stuff. And, and, and everybody says, well, that's what it is. That's not. Human nature is what Satan dwells in. And people put their faith in Satan when they don't even know they're putting their faith in Satan. The father of lies. So that zeal has a tendency to be insensitive. But let me tell you, it's a wonderful quality. It's an absolutely wonderful quality. But it must be tempered by love, grace, and sensitivity. Perhaps that's why James's ministry was so short. Perhaps. But I do find it fascinating that... They arrested Peter and then turned him loose. And they killed James. And the king ordered both of them. So which one do you think was a greater threat to King Herod? Just an idea. Next week we'll look at his loving brother. The one that Jesus loved. Beloved of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these... Two sets of brothers that are no different than many of us. Lord, I ask you, I beg you, we bow our knees in obedience and humility to understand the amazing things that you have done, that you are doing, and that you shall do. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk worthy of this awesome calling. Father, help us to reach the loss. Great numbers. Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, I praise you for all of these men. And Father, how you use them in ways that uh, 
even to this day, are miraculous. But Lord, I pray, each of us here are disciples and should be making disciples. Help us, Father, to be faithful, to walk in the radiance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.